And welcome to Friday Night Fright, the podcast where we fry on a Friday night. It's your host, as always, Ian Austin. And I'm here with another episode of F1's favourite podcast. On this week's instalment, um, Walking Dead. I talk about more episodes of Walking Dead. I also review shot treatment. And I talk about Event Horizon, maybe. It's going to be happening and it's coming up in just a few ticks of a lamb's tail. So, just watched Shot Treatment, which I bought on Blu-ray ages ago. It's an um, Arrow video uh, release. And I first watched it a long time ago, actually, in university. We're um, having like a, a drinks evening or something and someone's just put Shot Treatment on. And it was a unique experience at the time. I think the majority of people I watched it with didn't enjoy it. And this by the way, it's a long fucking time ago because I'm 37. And I haven't been in university since I, since like 24. Jesus Christ. Uh, it's been a long time anyway. So yeah, I mean, it's like crowdless watching with didn't necessarily vibe on it. And I didn't particularly care for it either, but I found the song so damn catchy, you know, it just stuck with me. And occasionally over the years I'd watch YouTube and I'd see clips of it. And I'd think some of the singing sounded cool. No. And then like a year ago I was in HMB, which one of my favourite pastimes, and I found an arrow video version of it for in a buy one, get one free uh, deal. So I got shock treatment, and then just now finally rewatched it again, and it's a really weird fucking movie. I'm sure some of you would be aware it's a um sequel of sorts to Rock Horror Picture Show, which side note I've never actually watched Rock Horror Picture Show all the way through, or if I have, I was very drunk and don't remember it. Um, I obviously know the sort of big songs from it. I've seen clips of them, and it looks cool, but. I don't know, it's like, despite the fact that, that one's more horror-themed, it's just never really piqued my interest as much. Um, it's, I don't know, I'm sure I'll watch it at some point. But this, I, I love shock treatment. I, I know maybe it's in a slightly ironic way because it's not a brilliant movie and there's lots of weirdness to it and not necessarily um, intentional weirdness and it's a bit goofy, but it's just... A fascinating movie. I, I think it ties into my love of, like, the flawed masterpiece sort of aspect of cinema. You know, you'll get something like David Lynch's version of Dune, where I love it, despite the fact that it's a complete mess. Um, it's so much fun, and it's such a specific vision from a specific talent that, like, you just watch it, and you just feel... It's saying something, and it's like a combination hybrid between what they want, what studio wants, and it's like halfway between, and it's not really satisfying either them or studio, but it's coming out of something which no one else would make, and no one else really would make something as batshit weird as this. Because it is so weird, they're basically predicting reality TV. Back in 1981, it predicted all of that shit, and nailed it to the same way, even today, it's relevant. Like, there's always crap going on in England with bollocks. I'm celebrity, get me out of here, horse shit. And you watch this, and it's basically like they're booing people out. Like, it's reality TV, and it's just, it's so much fun. 
And I, I mean, it's not great again. And the plot makes no sense. And I listened to songs not too long, a uh, while back, on off not too long. <sighs> yeah, so I listened to songs not too long ago on on Amazon. I used I hang Amazon subscriptions. I used to have that like my soundtrack on way to work. And the song's great, but the movie just jumps from set piece to set piece. There's no real plot. The plot they have doesn't make sense. It gets to the end part with the big confrontation scene and then it just sort of dwindles out. So it doesn't really have an ending. Um, it's Again, it's kind of a sequel to Rock Hard Picture Show, but apparently it's not. There's not that much continuity between two of them. Um there's some weirdness, there's lots and lots of characters, but for a movie which is just about an hour and 40 minutes, there's two main characters. Um, it's probably Young Cat's Fact, it's not really any plot. The songs are weird. Like, songs are great, but really feels like... You get some musical great songs feel factored into plot, and in this case, it feels a bit more like um, something like We Would Rock You by Queen, the musical where... The the songs are fantastic, but the plot is just background dressing. And it's just like, if they could have got away with not having plot, they would have. There's, um, some, the songs are fantastic. They don't necessarily always fit what's going on. Um, there's a lot of shifts in characters in songs and character arts and things like that. Happening in songs don't happen outside the songs, so suddenly you'll get a big shift which is a lot to get used to. And I think it's just a weird movie. So, like, I feel if you give yourself to it, you'll enjoy it. But if you... One, if you don't like musicals, don't watch it. Two, it's best watching it under some sort of substance. I tend to have a sort of bizarre mindset and weirdness anyway, so I can dig something like this. But, you know, there's probably some dude who probably would need some something to get you for a movie like this. Um, and it's not very easily available, so it's hard recommending that regard because I'm someone who loves buying Arrow videos and DVDs, but they're not cheap, and not everyone wants to do that. So it's not... No, I'm not recommending movie. I, I, I had a great time watching it, and I love the songs. Although, in saying that, some of it age, is aged really badly. There's like a song in there about how awesome it is being a man, which is, I think it was meant to be intentionally sexist and homophobic, but, you know, some hearing like that particular F-word in the song, you just go like, I know, I don't want to censor art, you know, it should, art should be art, problematic and all, but no, it's like it does really stand out in a way it wouldn't necessarily stood out in the 80s. Um, you know, and there's some non existent kind of development going on, which is kind of a lot to get around. But overall, it's a fun movie. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a weird thing because it shouldn't be any longer, but it probably could have been. Um, but then again, there wasn't much plot, so it shouldn't be much longer, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, I, I dug it. You know, it's a good movie. And 
if you can find a copy of it for a relatively cheap price, it's worth watching or just watch clips on YouTube. And I say that someone who, my movies are on YouTube for free. So, you know, I still want people to pay for them, but, you know, if you don't want to pay for them, you can still watch them. So, you see, using this review of shot treatment, say, go watch Bubba Batching on YouTube. You'll enjoy it. Well, if you won't, you're not paying for it anyway, so. But shot treatment, if you can find a copy of it, give it a watch. Because it's fun. Or if not, just go watch some music. Just go listen to some music on YouTube because it's cool. You know, there's some really good songs there um, that actually probably work better out with no context. The context doesn't really add anything to them, you know. <laughs> Okay, so I've watched the um, Walking Dead episode 305, um, and yeah, <laughs> uh, I vaguely remember watching the post-Laurie dying episodes years and years ago, but man, re-watching them tells me a couple of things. First thing is, um, and I'm going to be nice here, Andrew Lincoln is an excellent, excellent actor. I don't think that'd be said enough. He does a fantastic job at playing <laughs> He's does a fantastic job at playing the broken side of Rick, who is absolutely broken in this episode, doesn't really say anything. Actually, says a couple of lines, a couple of words at the end. But he's mostly just broken grief and abstract terror and fear for the future and rage. Like an all consumed rage, rage to his death. His daughter's just been born and his son needs him and he goes off to murder a bunch of zombies and make sure Laurie's dead because it turns out that she's dead, but she's not dead dead, and he has to kill her and stab her stomach a few times, which is really creepy, because, you know, I don't know, maybe he doesn't realise he's got a daughter, because he went batshit saying it in for the last episode. But just isn't that Rick is broken. Thoroughly, thoroughly broken in every single way. And it's very, very sad. Um, the flip side being, this is kind of what Walking Dead does, where you start realising it's not really about the plot or the story per se, it's character. It's very much character studies because this entire stuff with Rick could have been a 10-minute section of a of an episode. It didn't need to be a whole episode because nothing really happens by end. You get a phone call in prison, which is strange. He, and then cuts to black. That could be like... If this was a story-driven show, like something like Lost, this that would be like maybe a few minutes of time. You know? Or you could have accomplished the same for that amount of time, you know? Walking Dead's folks is a character study, which is weird because it's dealing with zombies, so it's much more slurring in that regard. And it's the same thing's true of Governor and Andrew and Michonne, because, like, that story hasn't really developed at all in the past batch of episodes. And here, Michonne finally leaves, but, like, you could have done that in one episode, the entire story in one episode. But Walking Dead seems to be much more methodically paced, which is good. I mean, it's still fascinating to watch, and it's very well acted, but it kind of has a vibe of wanting to be an indie sort of experience um, in terms of the characterization, giving actors more to work with, but the writing isn't great. It's important, Governor. They've already played their cards with him, you know? So it's like we're not dealing with the ambiguity of the situation. They're relying on trope that we know more than characters do. But the problem with that is that that removes that 
doesn't really, in this case, add much tension. It just makes Andrew look stupid because everything about Governor is really obvious. You know, he's manipulative and all that. And maybe it ties into her character because she bought into Shane's crap from season two and she's buying into this, but... If you're talking about long-term cat development, you should cats should learn from previous situations. So she should learn from the fact that Shane was manipulating her and bear that in mind here. But I guess after daring all of that, she's just looking for someone to look after, which again goes in contrast with all of her cat development, which didn't want being coddled or anything. <laughs> The other stuff with Governor Michonne, where Michonne seems to be young captain in the show who has fucking clue what's going on. You know, seems to always be, have mindset of this isn't quite what seems. And the other fact is that maybe it's because we haven't, or I certainly I haven't lived in some, in some zombie pandemic, but Woodbury's kind of a shithole, you know? If conceivable way, right down to the fact they have zombie gladiator fights, and they, and Governor excuses it with, oh, their teeth are gone, so they can't do anything. So, we've seen zombies, walkers rip people's guts open with their hands. Like, these guys catch you, they would do damage to you. That is a fact, you know? That is going to happen. And, yeah, so, the episode's kind of deals with two factors. It deals with Rich's descent in madness and Michonne's wanting to leave Woodbury. And it's... Don't get me wrong, I'm still enjoying it because it's a... Fun's the wrong word, but I like the fact that characters are the focus. Although it's kind of stupid. It's like... It, at times it goes into, like, fetch quests more than anything, where, like, it's like, oh, we need to get formula for the baby, and they conveniently find some formula, because, of course, they have to, because, you know, Walking Dead is... That baby's probably going to become... Be around for a while, being born character, no spoilers, please. So, you know, you can't... If you're going to have Laurie give birth to a baby, this, no fucking show on American TV is going to curve a baby, you know, after it's been born, you know. Well, maybe a couple, but, like, you know, generally they're not going to do that. Same way Laurie didn't have the abortion, which I know it's a complicated topic, but in this sort of situation, her having kids was really, really safe-ish. At least, like, if they found some like Woodbury, yeah, that would make sense, you know, because right now it's like they conveniently find supplies, but... That baby is logically is not going to survive in that prison. There is no way that baby can survive in that prison without its birth mother. Yes, she will, because of course she will, but like that's fucking ridiculous. And other thoughts, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I want the rip to be pressed up, be over, but I know it's going to last for four or five more episodes before he finally goes, okay, I get it. It's going to be like the equivalent of one TV act's worth of character development each episode for like four episodes, which is kind of annoying, but at the same time, it makes sense. It's kind of one of those things about TV. It feels like it'll go on too long, but in real life it will go on even longer. So, But when you're watching it on TV, it's frustrating. Because you just, you want things to happen. 
and in Walking Dead, things don't necessarily happen very quickly. It's more about the acting characters. But dear God, man, like, don't whitewash how awful Laurie was as a person and character. Jesus Christ. And yeah, I mean, other things like um, Carl, no, not Carl, um, Glenn saying we should have killed all prisoners on site and Herschel giving him nod. He's like, what? Like, that's fucked up. You know? Like, the prisoners didn't kill Laurie. Laurie chose to have a fucking baby in an apocalypse and then went into labour. And for some reason, F1 group wasn't taught how to do basic fucking medical treatment. Like, you think that would be the first things they'd be taught to do, right? Okay, Laurie's pregnant, we're in prison. Okay, now Herschel is going to go over with every one of you how to do this. Because you know you'll get trapped in a room with someone like Maggie or fucking Carl or something. You know? It's like, this is going to happen. The worst things always happen to you people. Assume for the worst. And then there's Carol. Where the fuck's Carol gone? She ran out, but, like, where's she going to get to? You know she's not dead. There's no corpse. Oh, and the other thing. They're talking about T-Dog. T, T, T about how nice person was. Can I just say, you needed to show us this, and not just in the last episode, because that dude nearly died because he cut his artery open on a fucking exhaust pipe. And you're telling me he was a nice, important member of group? Look, you know, he wasn't. He could have been. He's a good actor. He could have been if you gave him something to fucking do. You didn't give him anything to do. You gave him nothing to work with, and as a result, he had... One episode, it's last episode, we actually did anything. And then that's it. And that's questionable that you did that, but you did it. So don't turn around and say, oh, we loved him. He's a member of the group. He's all shit. He off camera. It's like, he sure as shit didn't do him on camera. My only real memory of T-Dog is him, as I just said, slicing his artery open on a fucking exhaust pipe and almost bleeding death. And they need scrambled game antibiotics. <clears throat> no? And it's after he said, Dale, let's just drive off. But then Glenn's sort of like, oh, he saved me thousands of times. I'm like, you won't get drive off, Glenn. You won't get drive off in season one when Frank Dabon can run in the show. <clears throat> was that? No, season one, season two. Maybe that's season two. Anyway, you won't get drive off. Maybe it's our friend Dab. Maybe friend Dab won't want to make T-Dog main character. But after he got fired for fucking up the schedule, he decided, oh, fuck it. T-Dog will be representation for friend Dab. <laughs> nearly dying under the pressure of walking through a fucking car. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Friend Dab, make sure Sam don't sing him missed. He's good in my book. No. Anyway, um... I I don't know what I'm saying. Um, that's Walking Dead three or five. Uh, I just want to shout out to shout out to David Morrissey, who's my God, he's so good at governing that you forget that it's a really, really, really badly written character. You know. Anyway, I'll be back with something more in a second. So you get another Walking Dead episode review this week. You get episode six of season three as well. Um, and this episode basically continues the Rick has gone batshit insane storyline that F1 was so in fact with from previous episode. Um, Angela Lincoln again gets a chance to do some really good acting. Uh, 
If you're asking if anything actually happens in these episodes, um, not really. It's split between the Ritz uh, Andra stories again. So we get lots of Andra at Woodbury and get bits and pieces of Rick. And um, does a lot happen? Um, well, no, not really. I mean, it's it's very much like, no, I said in the last bit, you know, it was a bit different for Lost, but in actuality, it's quite similar to Lost because um, this episode really slows down plot and seems to be devoted to Rick and Andrew's characters, as do most of the episodes this season. Most of the other actors aren't really getting that much work with. Daryl got a bit of backstory here. Um, but really, I mean, it's the Rick and Andrew show. And again, Governor, we get bits and pieces of him and his ambiguity. Is that window now? If there was ever any ambiguity, it's completely and utterly gone. Um, they try and paint him as a conflicted figure. You know, sort of like, I had something, you know, blah, 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 but not particularly... Um, Mel is obviously there, played by Michael Rooker, who always does a good job, but not much to him. And, I mean, the character most people would relate to is probably Michonne, because she is um, useful. <laughs> you know, she actually seems to understand what show she's in, and her reactions seem somewhat metatextual, because she is exasperated by how stupid all of these people are. We get... Um, Maggie and Glenn, um, who forget how to be competent and are taken hostage and taken back to taken to Woodbury. Um, governor's okay. <laughs> the governor's okay of using them as prisoners, I guess. I don't know. Like um uh, and Andrea saves the town of Woodbury from Biter and is shot at by um uh 18-year-old, I guess, whatever, with a crossbow, sort of like, I could kill him, despite the fact that she missed twice, you know, at close range. Um, I guess people of Woodbury aren't very good for weapons. And, yeah, I mean, apart from that, nothing really happens. Um, Rick gets over his breakdown, um, but then has enough breakdown, um, but then gets over that. He apparently thinks someone's actually running prison, um, Herschel leaves ambiguous. I mean, he kind of makes a suggestion that no one's ringing prison, but then, you know, he doesn't do that film thing where it's insane and that no one's calling. He just sort of like goes, Oh, uh-huh, Rick, I'll sit for you for a bit, Rick. You know, anything um, else? Daryl finds Carol. You know, it rhymes, like poetry. Um, and at the end of the episode, Miss Shong, who... Actually, that's the thing that got me, because, like, Mel and his boys hunt down Michonne, but it feels like we missed an episode, because why would they do that? Clearly, Governor doesn't want people to leave Woodbury, but it's it's just a weird thing. Like, it doesn't quite match with how the last episode ends. It feels a bit like Lost, where it'd be weeks between episodes, and they'd act like it'd be weeks, despite the fact that it literally only been hours since last episode. Like, um, in season one, where they lose Charlie... And then, like, season 15 is literally set, like, two days later. They lose Claire. Season, like, episode 15 set two, three days later. And Claire returns. And they all act like she's been gone for months. You know? It's, like, stuff like that. It just doesn't really work in TV series. And, um, Rick, at the end, thinking he's tripping balls when he sees Bishog. Hey, <laughs> hey, Michonne does figure out the, um, if you wear zombie guts, you'll 
blending the zombies trick. Which he learns off slicing over a zombie's chest. And I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people are like, why wouldn't they just wear that all the time? But, you know, that would be disgusting. And you would be very sick very quickly. So, I mean, not a great episode for Walking Dead. The governor and Andrew make, make fuck, which is, you know, something, I guess. Um, and, yeah, uh, Michonne keeps proving that she's the only useful character in the show. But I think that is pretty dull. Um, I mean, even by the show's usual standards, nothing happened this episode. Michonne found prison. But, like, that just underscores how close they are to Woodbury. And if they're that close, wouldn't, like, the... Woodbury team have driven by and military have driven by at some point like you know it's just always questions it just goes back to season 2 where they're right by fucking prison when season 2 ended and season 3 set 8 months later and they somehow had to go into prison you know it's like why wouldn't you go that straight away why wouldn't why wouldn't Woodbury be based there you know like they could have taken prison it's like the fact that there's a place in Atlanta they could have gone to community-wise but somehow didn't find is like, it's a bit weird and a bit incredulous. But Governor's a great web and he's tense and he'll be a good villain, I guess. But, you know, some of the writing's really fucking all this week. Bring back Frank Darrenbong, you know, or don't, I don't know. He doesn't come back anyway, so it's all moot. Anyway, I, I, I guess 2.5 out of 5. Okay, well... Um, next up on podcast is probably Prince of Darkness, unless I forget to watch it. Anyway, that'll be coming up next. You know, I think we may have reviewed Event Horizon before, but since Season 7 started and I'm trying to appeal to a new audience, I'll talk back again. Event Horizon is one of my favourite movies. Hey. <sighs> For your new podcast this week, Event Horizon is one of my favourite movies. I don't say it's one of the best movies ever made because it's not. Um, no, even say no. In terms of my favourite movies, it's the best movie. It's just for me, it's the most fun. It's a really, really, really fun movie. It's rooted in some goofy nineties No, I don't know if some of you were even alive in nineties, but. It was a very strange period of cinema. Um, the eighties was sort of, as Tarantino puts, puts it, was sort of trying to play more of a, you know, conservative mindset. I guess you could say, with like um, you no know, inclusiveness and uh, bit of, bit of censorship and bit of like political correctness to an extent. And nineties was the inverse of that, with the indie movement being irrelevant creating more irreverent sense of cinema and blockbusters try and catch up, hence movies like Kong Air with which had an indie dream cast in the big silly action movie, hence Nicolas Cage's um action movie roles, hence the way that the indie movement impacted on Hollywood as a mainstream and really shook things up and then really pushed the boundaries of um cinema and American like comedic cinema, I guess you could say. So, Pulp Fiction changing how people saw American movies. And Event Horizon kind of falls into that a little bit because it's a big, brash, dumb sci-fi horror movie, but it's definitely got an indie mindset because if you actually watch Event Horizon, 
in the midst of goofiness because they didn't have budget they wanted to have. It's a very, very, very irreverent movie. It's got a lot of comedic elements to it, um, a lot of funny jokes, a lot of things which seem a bit more improvised. And the crew's dynamic is particularly interesting to watch because it's so quick and so effectively managed that you almost forget that Van Rysen's actually a very weird movie. Now, there are lots of good elements to it. Now, some people think sidetracked from the point, but I think it's a great job of pointing out that this crew is tight-knit and friendly and gets on with each other in a non-sort of forced way. It feels very genuine. Part of that's down to acting as well, but just, it's just a vibe it puts out. These are people on a spaceship. Now, one can draw it off as comparison to Alien, where... It's a bunch of alien, it's a bunch of truckers in space to stumble upon something they don't understand, some sort of weird mythology ensues from there. And Event Rising's a bit different, these are soldiers, and it's a bit more aliens, I guess you'd say. But there's people out there who are just trying to do a job and pulled into this bizarre universe and concepts and, you know, try and deal with those and make quips at the same time. Now, is Event Horizon as good as Alien or Aliens? Um, well, I, I, I'd say I enjoy it more than Alien, but less than Aliens. Um, but I think Alien's a better movie. But I, I think it goes back to what someone told me about, well, actually, why I came up with, that's no regular me came up with, saying that the new Doom movie is far, far, far better than David Lynch's version, than the... Um, Dave Lynch version, yeah. But Dave Lynch versions are far more interesting moving. I think that's the point. You watch something like New Dune, it's very Compton, it's very coherent, it's very well acted, it's very paced and all of that. But the David Lynch version, despite being something that Dave Lynch has long since disowned, has a vibe to it, a unique personality and a unique sensibility to it that was actually so good that they stole parts of it for the new movie. And it's, it goes to show, it's like, you don't have to make something which is, like, technically brilliant. If you make some personality, Mink Ryzen's lots of personality, it will resonate with people, and it will be a bit flawed, a bit messy, a bit weird, a bit silly, but I think most cinema should be aiming for that. You don't want to make perfect, streamlined, cookie-cutter stuff. You want to make something which is going to have a personality. You're going to think, like, that's cool. I mean, when, you, when you're growing up, you know, you have myself sort of like, the only person I'm going to be with has to look like this, this or this. And you always hear a mantra of like, oh, she's got a great personality and discount is being like, you know, well, that's not what we want. But ultimately, you would want a good personality because you have to live with these, this person. So why wouldn't you want them to have personality and be funny and witty? And Ben Ryzen's very much like that. It won't win in beauty contests, but it'll tell better jokes than the alternative. And I, I don't really care for dry sci-fi per se. I prefer sci-fi to have a bit of life and bit of kit to it, and Ben Ryzen definitely has that. It's got a lot of horror aspects. It's got great, some great dialogue. Like, fuck this ship. It's one of my favourite lines of all time. 
Now, obviously, you do have to start thinking about special effects being kind of goofy and they clearly didn't have money they wanted to have and the movie's been cut down a lot, although I disagree with the mindset people going, I wish they kept the all that original video stuff in the horror stuff, you know, which was originally more disgusting to studio said no, but I think actually, to be honest, despite the fact that there are parts of the movie which clearly jump way too fast through the plot, um, as it is, I actually think they did a good job cutting that stuff out because, you know, we see enough and but spending like five minutes watching that sort of rough cut footage would make it into much more of an exploitation movie and I don't think the material really works for that. I mean, you can make something which focuses on more of the gore, um, of course, but I think Bank Rising works because it's got the gore, but it's also a generally funny script with some really good acting and some tension. You know, it seems to be a movie which works on multiple different levels, while also some people not working on. But I really like Bank Rising. I think it's fun. I think you should definitely go back and watch it. And it looks pretty good on Netflix. Not perfect. You know, it's a, a few scenes still be seen. But overall, yeah, really good movie. Bank Horizon on Netflix. Um, yeah, fuck that shit. You know? Another episode is done. Well, that was interesting. I, I can't. I don't know if I love this week's one. I like The Walking Dead because I'm trying to get more into it, and Miss Sean's a badass. And talking about shark treatment's quite cool. And obviously, Event Horizon is a uh, one of my favourite movies. But overall, was a great episode. Um, I don't really give a shit. So there you go. Um, anyway, I shall see you guys next week for another episode of Fright Night Fright. Well, I might finally cover the menu, um, Violent Night, and some other stuff. Also, if you can, go watch The Offer. It's a show on Paramount Plus. It's the making Godfather. It's like a fictionalized version of Black, and it's really, really, really good. Like, an actual good TV show. And also, um, I've got loads of other horror movies I should be watching, so I'm sure I'll be covering them soon. But till next time, remember, life is beautiful, and so are you.